Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Happy birthday to you. Welcome to the Ponder a New podcast. I'm Pastor Rob Mialis, and this season we are looking at the book of Acts and thinking about the early Christian community and the joy of community. And today we are in Acts chapter 2, which is Pentecost, which is the birthday of the church. And we're going to be thinking about miracles and indeed even the miracle of community this day. So without further ado, let's get started discovering the joy of community. And if you are in a church in the United States, the most important religious holiday is probably Christmas. Uh, Even if you or uh, your church may sort of celebrate other things, again, I think for for most of us, Christmas is the big one when churches are the most full and so forth. Uh, Probably comes in second, Easter and, and Good Friday, and then Pentecost is sort of down there with almost like other lesser festivals of, you know, All Saints or, or I don't know, Reformation or Epiphany or something. Um, but for the Orthodox Church and for many other Christians, uh, Easter is always the, the main holiday. Um, but, but Pentecost is, is actually more important within uh, Orthodox Christianity than, than Christmas. I mean, maybe important is not the right word, but it's, it's just seen as this really significant event with the, the Holy Spirit uh, coming down. So I just want to say that uh, Acts chapter 2, uh, again, in, in, the, in many churches, we don't really quite know what to do with it. Uh, oftentimes it's celebrated sort of as people are starting to go off for summer, or even we'll do like some other sort of things for our church on that day, like a confirmation, so we can avoid actually having to talk about people speaking in tongues. <laughs> so I want to uh, get started here. And what I want to think about as we uh, reflect on, on this uh, story, this, this Pentecost, is what, what are the miracles that are happening here? There's a lot in this story that we could regard as miraculous. And so I, I want us to start thinking about miraculous things, miracles, and what are some things in your life that you consider miraculous? Um, beyond the uh, 1980 you know, United States hockey team and the miracle on ice, again, what do you consider miraculous? And then as we look at this story, as Luke hands it down to us, what is miraculous here? So uh, we'll get started and we'll read, and I'm going to read just a little bit from Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, from heaven, there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now, 
there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. The obvious miracle are the tongues of flames. And the challenge for us in the modern world is that many things in the Bible that are designed to increase and encourage our faith by bearing witness to supernatural forces that are under God's sovereignty. This has the contrary effect on us, modern or I guess now postmodern readers and listeners, that it, it makes it seem like it couldn't be true. It, rather than buttress God's uh, miraculous powers, it seems to undermine the veracity of, of the text. So for a second, I want you to suspend your concern about the nature of what, was, what these tongues of flames looked like. Because I think there are actually other miracles at work here that are, are ah, more significant and more stunning in their beauty if we really ponder them. And the first miracle I want to draw attention to is the word Pentecost itself. Okay, the word Pentecost itself. Pentecost is not a Jewish name. It's a Greek word, and it means 50, and it's for these 50 days because this is when the Spring Harvest Festival in ancient Judaism which was called the Feast or Festival of Weeks, was celebrated uh, after the Passover. Which is not in itself a miracle per se, but it's interesting here that Luke writes its Greek name. And, and what's happening is that in ancient Judaism, like the ancient uh, Old Testament, it's written in originally in Hebrew. But in th around 300 or so, it gets translated in Alexandria, Egypt, into Greek um, after uh, Alexander conquers all this territory. People are speaking Greek in what will later sort of become the western part of the Roman Empire. Or sorry, the eastern part of the Roman Empire. But there becomes this common language, and uh, it's not Semitic. And so the people who are speaking Hebrew, their children don't know how to read their scriptures, and so they decide to translate them into Greek, sort of the lingua franca or what they will be sort of you know, the Latin of, of the world. This is significant because uh, when Christians began to do their work of evangelism, as we get on in the book of Acts, they're able to travel over extensive areas and they're able to talk about the Jewish scriptures that have already been translated into Greek that people can read. So they can already have a translation of the 23rd Psalm or the book of Genesis or the, book of, or the scroll of Isaiah. It's already in Greek in a way that can be transmittable. And it's, what's happening is that Jesus is coming at a time when between Greek in the eastern half of the empire and Latin in the western half, there's, 
a lot of ability of people to sort of transcend their own sort of tribal language. There's also then this Pax Romana that is allowing for uh, travel and transport. And so what you have then to go to sort of, again, building on this miracle, you have at Pentecost, you have, and, and Luke sort of lists in verse 9 through 11, all of these sort of uh, these areas of the world that most of which are unfamiliar to us. Um, but what Luke is actually, if you looked at an ancient map, you see Luke is sort of tracing sort of a big circle around Jerusalem. He's saying, you know, sort of everywhere. And all of these people have the ability, not just financial means independently, but there's actually roads and peace and stability, and so there's all this travel. So what I want, what I'm pointing towards here is that the where and when Jerusalem 30 AD in the midst of the Roman Empire, which is sort of built on the foundations, especially in the eastern part on the uh, Greco, uh, sort of the Greco-Alexandrian Empire, allow for an incredible amount of communication and travel, which was fundamentally necessary for the Christian church, as well as the fact that, again, um, you have this Jewish diaspora from going back to the exile of Jews living all over sort of the western and then later even the sorry, eastern and later the western part of the Mediterranean. So you sort of have this really, uh, even beyond this story, just the background is a Jewish diaspora with a common language then among Jews, not even being any more really Hebrew, but but Greek, the language that most people in that region were speaking, and the ability to travel. And all of this allows for Jews to come to Pentecost, on Pentecost, to Jerusalem, and, and then they can go back, and, and already now there's, some, there's this truth now about Jesus' death and resurrection, which is now going to be accessible to people all over the world. And there's already communities and pockets of people that know the backstory, know the whole Old Testament, and all these major urban areas, again, the Jews, and that they're able to be the first converts because, again, they have this. So I want to say that the miracle at first is going to be these tongue of flames, but there's a deeper, more sort of serendipitous, like, wow, like all of these threads of history of the Babylonian conquest of, you know, the, the, the southern kingdom in 570, Alexander's conquest in, uh, you know, 330, the, the conquest of Julius Caesar uh, and his help at the Battle of Philippi of the Jews that gave them special privileges in the Roman Empire. Like all of these crazy strands of history lead to the situation that we're in in the Roman Empire that in spite of itself allowed Christianity to uh, travel and the message to spread. So just say, that's another miracle. Or is it? So I invite you to consider whether you consider that, that transmission of language and, um, yeah, the situation. What's, do you consider that a miracle? Less or even more of a miracle than the, the tongue of flames? To get to the next miracles, I want to read just a few more verses. At this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? They continue, In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? 
but others sneered, saying they are filled with new wine. Okay, first miracle that I'd like to uh, think about with you, and this builds on what I was talking about earlier about language and all of that stuff, is that each person could hear in their own native language. Like they were the gift of tongues. And, okay, first of all, many Christians around the world today still experience tongues in worship. In fact, you could argue among Protestants, more Protestants, if you really consider the global community, would say that they've had experiences of people speaking in tongues than not. It just turns out sort of in the sort of industrialized, highly developed sort of uh, Western uh, areas, this is not as common within worship. Although actually among young people today, among people under 30, this apparently for Christians is actually. But all this to say that many of us have not been in a worship service in which people are speaking in tongues. But what really is the miracle? The miracle is that God's news, God's amazing deeds of power, are communicated in a language that you can understand. And this is something that has been an amazing work of Christians over the centuries. Uh, when you read the book of Acts, but then even just sort of the, the history, where the gospel has been presented in, in media, like, I mean by media, they're like ways of, of communicating over various media, uh, over various cultural sort of constructs in languages that people could hear. And in fact, Christian missionaries uh, have invented so many alphabets uh, and been the ones who have put so many languages to writing. Uh, so many languages have had, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word is with God, the prologue to John's Gospel, as the first words written in their language. And like the Cyrillic alphabet is named after uh, St. Cyril and, and his work there bringing the gospel to the Slavic peoples. So there, I think the, the miracle that I think, again, many of us may be uncomfortable with, or for some, not at all, but if you haven't been in a service where there's been speaking of tongues, or that's something that just seems really out of your comfort zone, um, Again, think about the other miracle here, and that's just that somehow the gospel over the centuries has been translated again and again and again into languages uh, over everything from paper to rocks to the back of tree bark. Um, I remember this uh, hearing this one story of uh, these refugees who were living in what is uh, Burma, and um, they were forced to flee, and they actually learned how to write um, on the back of tree bark, and their mother taught them scripture verses. Those are the words that, you know, those are the sentences that she, she chose to teach them, uh, writing, again, etching into the back of tree bark. Uh, you know, or over podcasts or over DVDs, again, that the, the Christian gospel has gone out in languages in ways that you can hear it. I think there's a, a, a powerful miracle just in that. But the other uh, two miracles that I want to get at is, well, I'll first get to the first one, and that is, if you notice the contempt that people have, these international visitors, those who have means and access to travel to Jerusalem, they're not impressed that it's Galileans, you know, sort of the, the lowland fisher people that are doing this. It's not even urbanite Jerusalem. It's these sort of backwards people. And, you know, this is who God has chosen to work through. Who has God put on the first international stage to talk about the Christian gospel? 
a bunch of fairly uneducated fisher people that have not gone through any finishing or rhetoric school. Many of them may not be able to write very well, if at all. Um, uh, you know, what are their credentials? And then for Peter, most saliently, you know, he's the one that denies Jesus in front of other people. And beyond the, the gravity of that, just think about the specifics. He, in front of other people, says he doesn't know Jesus. And now he's the one that's going to get up on Pentecost, and he's the one that begins to speak. And he gives really this beautiful, powerful sermon in which he's quoting Scripture, talking about sort of what God will, God is doing now, what God did for the people over the centuries. And then he concludes in verse 36, and he says, Therefore let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. Peter there is now the vehicle. In this, in this particular case, the one who had denied Jesus is now speaking to others about Jesus. I think there's something miraculous there in whom God chooses for which tasks. And so I, I want to ask you first an indirect and then a very direct question. Who in your life have, have you seen where... It could be specifically related to church, that somebody who you didn't think suddenly was delivering a message of, of power and conviction to you about God's deeds, right? That, uh, you know, somebody who really had, you know, led this terrible life, or had gotten themselves in all sorts of trouble and problems, or somebody who's going through great suffering, that they're the one. You know, just today I was visiting somebody who end of life, caring for, well, they're, they're a caregiver caring for their spouse at the end of life. And this person just opened up and just kind of shared that they felt that God had been there for, through so many times in their life. And they just had a sense that God would lead them through even this. And it was just this beautiful witness of, of faith uh, here in the midst of this trial. So I, I think there is a way in which we will likely have experienced this miraculous thing where the people that we would least expect, those who are most suffering or have had the, you know, the worst, most convoluted lives, somehow are able to bear witness to God's amazing deeds of power. The second thing is that particularly about, again, thinking about, about Peter, and, and Peter at some point feels tremendously unworthy of, well, of God's love and now is speaking. And I'm curious, do you, have you experienced the miracle of God working through you? Have you experienced the miracle of God choosing to dwell in and among your words and your deeds that you might, in spite of any limitations that you might have, in spite of whatever choices you have made that aren't good or wholesome or holy, that God still has chosen miraculously to work through you. There are all sorts of miracles that happen on Pentecost. And the ones that will sort of seem like the miracles uh, or the ones that maybe give us the most trouble, that grab the most attention, are the tongue of flames above the heads and the speaking in this sort of gibberish language that somehow is intelligible by everybody what is referred to as speaking in tongues. But I'd like to suggest that there were some other miracles at work here about the, 
the time and, and location and the, the aligning of all these historical events that allowed for this to be the moment when the gospel could really begin to be disseminated across the world to fulfill Jesus' commands to, to be the witnesses to the ends of the earth. Uh, the secondly, again, this linguistic thing, this way in which the gospel was able to be passed on in, to people so that you and I, everybody, could sort of hear it in a way that was intelligible to us which continues, and I didn't even talk about art or music and how that's done, but again, this, this way in which the Spirit works miraculously to pass on the Word to the next generation. And I also spoke just about the particularities of who was being worked through, uh, that who God chose and how God worked through people, which points to the miraculous work of God working through people like you and me to bear witness to God's deeds of power, and to be vessels of God's love in this world. So what I'm trying to do here with Pentecost is really take this passage, which I think for many of us is sort of inaccessible in its wildness, and say, hey, I think there's something here we can all appreciate and cherish and be in awe of the miracles. But the granddaddy of them all, the, the real miracle, I want to argue, is actually the community that's founded at the end of chapter 2, the one whose birthday I sang about in the beginning of the podcast. But I am out of time, <laughs> and so we're going to pick that up, which may actually be one of my favorite passages in Scripture uh, in terms of a, a whole section uh, next next episode. But for now, hopefully some thoughts about miracles and, and uh, what stood out to you here as a miracle. What do you think is a miracle? How does today's Bible study maybe shift or, or uh, refine or challenge your sense of what are miracles in Scripture and what are miracles in our life today? So together, we pray. Oh God of miracles, we are in awe of what happened on that Pentecost, unsure sometimes of how to understand it but also unsure of how you're at work in our lives. And so may our eyes be open to the miraculous ways in which you align events far beyond our control, far out of our pur- purview, even generations before us, to bring to bear your love in our lives. We praise you for the miracle that there were people that have faithfully passed on the good news of the death and resurrection of Jesus to us. And we also thank you for the miracle that you work through everyday people, Uh, everyday people who sin and fall short of your glory, including ourselves. For all this, we give you praise. Amen. A really moving story about the way in which Christians have transmitted the gospel is told to me by one of my daughter's friends, and her family are actually refugees from uh, Burma. And the uh, mother in that family uh, forced to flee with uh, her mother and, and family, and they were living in the woods. And it was actually on the back of tree bark that uh, she learned how to, to write. And what her mom taught her with were actually Bible verses. So again, the, the mysterious and miraculous power of the word to be passed on generation to generation in all sorts of languages and all sorts of trials through all sorts of media.